Welcome to For the Love of Brantford, a podcast about the evolving story of our community. This podcast is for everyone who holds a place in their heart for our beautiful city. I'm Nathan Etherington, the Program and Community Coordinator for the Brant Historical Society. I'll be sharing some information from the Brant Historical Society archives and other sources to share some history that you may not have learned in school. And I'm Andy Samwell, president of the Eagle Place Community Association, and I'm passionate about community. And for me, you'll hear about what's happening in our community now. And I'm Zila Ozels from the Brantford Public Library. I'll be speaking with experts to get an idea of where our community is going. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, fill in our feedback form on the podcast website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB. We hope you join us each episode as we learn from each other and explore Brantford's past, present, and future. Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4, For the Love of Brantford, where we explore the evolving story of our community. In this episode, we share some stories about people that have and do make a difference in our community. I go into the past, back to the 1930s during the Great Depression, and what that looked like in Brantford. Then I speak with Matthew Birdsell, a community member who's anywhere someone needs help. And I speak with Susan Zudima from Why Not City Missions about their new house for young mothers. Preparing for this episode, it was inspiring to hear about all of the activities taking place by individuals and groups to help the community in Brantford. No matter how many challenges, complex problems, or suffering there is, there seems to always be someone trying to make a difference for the better. That's what struck me, is that the people we talk about and spoke with, while they see the negative things going on, don't let it get them down. I could hear the compassion they all have for our community members. I think it's also important to notice that throughout the episode, we talk about big deeds that took many people to succeed as well as small deeds completed by one person. This was just an overall fun, feel-good episode to prepare for. Nathan, why don't you get us started? So how did you approach finding examples of people in the past that made a difference? That's a great question, Mandy. I thought if I was randomly looking for things, it would be like searching for a needle in a haystack. So I approached it from when people would try and help out in simple ways. Usually this happens during times of societal crises. So I settled on the Great Depression and how people made a difference in simple ways as reported in the expositor. All the articles I mentioned will be in the show note. On March 6, 1929, an unemployment association was formed. A motion asked the group to approach the Civic Relief Committee to have the amount of relief increased. Two weeks later, on March 19th, they held a whist drive and dance for the unemployed at the Canadian Legion Hall with no charges of any kind being paid out and the proceedings going to the unemployed. On April 7th, 1929, At a meeting of the Unemployment Association, Alderman Matthews urged them to form a union to protect themselves against the future hardships of unemployment. The city was also investing in upgrades to the waterworks and the construction of the West Street subway for relief work. 
This all happened six months before the crash of the market on Black Friday in October 1929. Okay, so the crash happens and makes times more difficult. What does the government do to support Branfordians in 1930? Well, December 31st, 1929, the expositor highlights the outlook for 1930, saying there is no reason we should not have a bright outlook, but continues, quote, it frankly admitted that the crash of the stock market has created certain unfavorable tendencies. But the fact this is only likely to be temporary and not serious enough to disturb the foundations of prosperity, end quote. By February 1930, municipal governments are already concerned about the delay in action from the federal government. Mayor Beckett says, when you got to carry politics to the length to forget about the actual needs of the citizens in the community, It is time we got rid of politics. The community chest appeals for response were described as being haphazard, and the first to make the best case gets the most support. The following month, Mayor Beckett notes that Brantford raises more per capita than any other city in Ontario at $150,000, with no one in the telephone city being forced to go hungry. How do residents of Eagle Place respond to support their neighbours? The Eagle Place Business Men's Association gives their first concert at Bellevue School to raise funds for the relief effort with promises of more in the future. Two weeks later, another concert was organized at King Edward School with better reports on the evening. The expositor notes, quote, The elocutionary end of the program was represented by Miss Hazel Kennard, whose comic readings were a treat, end quote. Later in the program, it mentions most of the audience being Irish, and when Helen and Mary Q did their jig to tiptoe through the tulips, the audience responded with an abundance of applause. Later in the spring of 1930, city-owned lots that were vacant were made available for cultivation by applying to Relief Officer McCann, allowing people to grow their own food. If the lot was built on before the crops were harvested, City Council would cover the crop loss. The following year, the expositor mentions another Eagle Place concert for relief, and the motto of the Eagle Place Businessmen's Association as, quote, bettering of the business and social conditions of the district, end quote. The Great Depression didn't last just one year. What stories stuck out to you in 1931? An article appears on May 11th with a big headline of, laughing at employment with over 3,000 unemployed in Brantford. It notes at least five individuals have discovered a successful method of providing their own welfare with an encampment on Slater's Island near Wilkes Dam, accumulating household utensils and common furnishings free from problems of rent and taxes. They built a sod hut reminiscent of one that they made in World War I with willow boughs for the roof with more sod on top, and a stove. A tent of one of the members in more prosperous staves serves as a sleeping quarters. Expansions were to be undertaken. With more relief work needed, the provincial government enacts another plan, with municipalities receiving funding directly for relief projects, while in northern Ontario, the construction of the Trans-Canada Highway was the priority. Brantford was one of 17 municipalities that received this money. Married men would be prioritized for Southern Ontario, 
with single men heading to Northern Ontario for the work camps. How does registration go and what were the conditions like in the North? What else happens in the fall of 1931? The first day, the Exposit reports 758 people registering on August 18th. By the 21st, it is up to 1,800, and by the deadline at the end of the month, it has increased to 3,000 men seeking relief. On October 15th, the Expositor reports another 50 men leaving for the city of Kenora. It goes on about a letter received from an individual in one of the first groups having just arrived to the camp in time for supper at 6 p.m. There are 24 huts with eight men in each and a stove for heating. And their first day's work involved cutting down trees and bush. Another details the menu at the meals, which is quite an expansive list. These men were well fed for their hard work. On October 23rd, 1931, the expositor reports that the Community League needed $75,000 for its campaign for the following year. And in just three days raised more than $93,000. An editorial a few days later notes a lack of money not being the problem, but failure to apply it in the most effective way. For Christmas, a matinee was held at the Capitol Theater, now the Sanderson Center, with the charge of one can for foodstuffs. The following day reports 1,000 pounds of food were given, and Santa Claus will be able to visit every child with a donation of 1,065 toys, 439 pounds of nuts, 546 dozen oranges, 28 bushels of apples, and 2,115 pounds of candy. And how did Brantford make out in 1932? In spring, they introduced the Mana Block program, canvassing the neighborhood for odd jobs that had not been tried in Canadian cities, but was successful in many U.S. cities. In July, a report on one relief project involving the Brantford Canal cost $120,000, with over 77% going directly to labor and therefore the residents. On September 30th, 1932, the Community League disbands and successes are highlighted with this sentence, quote, Established two years ago in an endeavor to mitigate the distressful conditions arising out of a long period of worldwide unemployment, the League on occasion of an appeal was successful in securing voluntary contributions of over $100,000 or $200,000 in all, and this amount added to the supplementary grants of the Dominion and provincial governments has totaled well over half a million dollars, end quote. So it seems the community came together to make a difference in the lives of others. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for joining me today. Could you introduce yourself for the folks listening at home? Uh, my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me. Uh, my name is Matthew Birdsell. I've been living in Brantford my entire life and I'm 26. So 26 years I've been here. I'm just your average dude figuring out life and riding the waves. Life sends me as best as I can. That's all I can really say. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, so I've noticed that you've been sharing a lot of kindness in our community, doing all different types of things. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little more about what you've been up to. 
Oh, absolutely. I've actually got a wee bit of a list I started so I too can see what I've done. Here's the rough bit so far. Uh, Jeff, for this month alone, on the third, I did some weeding. On the fifth, I did some house cleaning. On the sixth, I did some kitchen cleaning. So I do free labor. So I do all this for free. Uh, seventh, I do, did weeding, digging holes. The eighth, I did help someone move. Ninth, I organized garage. Eleventh, weeding. Twelfth, house cleaning. Fifteenth, the basement. And the 21st, I did some more house cleaning. Also, I've done up a bit of park garbage cleanup so i go to the parks clean them up i clean up greenwich creek of carts and all the other junk that people throw over the bridge and bought and delivered free chocolates and candy and mental health baskets around brantford and that sums it up pretty well <laughs> yeah I, I think i saw something about that you were doing something to help um the bl's pantry as well no Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I <laughs> volunteered and helped clean up the parking lot over by uh, 519 Ice Cream, I think it is. Okay. Over by the apartment buildings. It's a 10 year old apartment buildings. I helped clean up that and I donated some money to help them get some more food. That's really awesome. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to want to help people? Uh, that's a deep question with even deeper answers uh, to easily summarize. I'm an overthinker and I see the suffering. I see the people homeless. I see the, see the people like the housing prices, the mental health, all this stuff. And I believe if I don't help, I'm actively choosing my own wants over others. Therefore, I consider myself not to be of a good person. And uh, but I don't want to be like a bad person. I want to change the world where there is no suffering and world peace is my goal. I want to create a happy world. That's what I want to do. Where less suffering, if any. That's really awesome. It's great how you're trying to have such an impact on everybody's lives and on the world and stuff like that. So um, it's great to hear that there's, you know, so many people doing good things in our community and that you're mm -hmm. one of them. And um, so is there a favorite memory or story that you could share with me about when you've been helping in the community? Uh, the number one memory I have from helping was actually from this month, actually. I was helping cleaning up a basement and a lady opened the door, literally bawling her eyes out from her physical medical pain and disbelief that I actually showed up. She was so used to people screwing over and using her kindness and i remember sitting down with her just to relax before getting to work and we got talking and the idea that she deserved kindness as much as she's bestowed it on others was an alien concept to her she still believed even whilst in tears and in pain she should be the one helping and that struck a chord i do believe if you can help do help but if you need help or even just want help there's nothing wrong being in that camp it's funny you'd think me offering free labor I'd be filled to the brim with requests. And that's really not right. Even when I offer free chocolates in multiple groups, adding to like 20, 30,000 people, I have maximum 50 people take me up on it. I want the world to be more selfish, funny enough, as I think that'd make a more kind world. You deserve happiness. You deserve a living. You should not ever need to earn that. And that's why I want to get rid or to change the current culture that we exist in today. That's really awesome. And it, it's so nice that, you know, you helped her. And I mean, she also must have a pretty big heart to feel like even in all oh, of that, absolutely. she wanted to be the one helping, right? So that's really awesome. All right. So I just have one more question for you. I just mm -hmm. wanted to ask you, so what's next for you? 
what are you going to do next? <laughs> well, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Uh, no matter what happens, I'm going to want to keep offering free labor, helping people. I don't like the idea of charging money for a whole nother rant. That's a whole rant in and of <laughs> itself. But uh, I don't like charging money at all. I find it immoral. No matter what happens in my future, even if I crash or burn or even if I'm homeless or anything like that, I will continue helping as much as I can. That's my goal, to help anywhere, any way I can. And that's what I believe should be done. All right. That's wonderful, Matthew. It's really great that I, I've been keeping an eye on some of the great things you've been doing online. And I'm so glad you were able to join me today so that folks can kind of know a little bit more about the good things that you're doing in the community. Mm -hmm. And with that, um, thanks so much. And is there anything else you wanted to add before we end this today? I think I'm going to take a little page out of BL's book and say to everyone who's listening, you matter. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us about Why Not City Missions? Sure. I'm Susan Zudima. I'm the executive director of Why Not City Missions. And uh, Why Not is actually celebrating our 20th anniversary in Brantford this year. We launched in 2002. And so we just celebrated it with a big dinner. Uh, we started as a, a youth center. Uh, really, uh, actually, there was some time when it was a restaurant <laughs> early on with youth working there and uh, just really an attempt to engage the uh, the downtown core, um, the youth and the, and the homeless who were down there. And now today we are a youth center that's been in operation for over 15 years and recently expanded into housing. So we have uh, two houses right now. One is Charlie's Place, uh, named after our founder, Charlie Kopchuk. And it uh, is a residence where uh, three young men right now uh, are living and um, working towards specific goals so that they can be established in adulthood. Our second and our newest house that is our current um, focus is uh, supportive housing for young parents, <clears throat> just opened in September. We currently have uh, three young moms living there and one in our day program. Uh, we have a waiting list because of uh, um, we're waiting on a few upgrades for fire code. So uh, we're limited. We have seven bedrooms there, but are limited right now. Um, just make, Which is fine. We're learning as we go. So seven would be way too many <laughs> at the beginning. So uh, we're thankful for the, the delay from that perspective. Uh, but yeah, we have four young mom, moms we're working with. And the goal there is to really just provide full wraparound supports, uh, a safety net so they can um, mess up. And uh, and we can say, it's okay that you messed up because it's safe to do that here. Because uh, when you mess up, you can learn from that and we can support you in figuring out how to do it differently next time. So uh, we've got amazing moms living there who are really pressing in the opportunity to, to, to have a safe environment for, for doing just that. So it's super awesome. Can you kind of talk about the needs that were behind even trying to get this home? Absolutely. So uh, our intake, our entry point is really the youth center. And that's where youth come and they drop in, they have a hot meal. They, um, our mission there is to empower the youth through relationships. So we really do our best to come alongside them and, and to know, help them know that they are seen. Our goal at the youth center is to see them and to hear them and make them feel valued and uh, worthy of attention and, and love and, and relationship. 
Um, and so as we do that with those kids, they disclose a lot to us about their lives and their situations. Uh, over the past, I would say, year and a half, um, our kids were struggling um, to stay in school. Some of them had completely given up and dropped out, not even making an attempt to, to, to do anything because it was just too difficult. So maybe coincidentally, a lot of them are getting pregnant. <laughs> the rate of pregnancy for teenagers in Brantford right now is 3%, which is higher than, I believe, the Ontario average of 1%. But at, why not? 75% of our youth who are identified, who are female um, biologically were experiencing pregnancy. And um, so that led us to recognize that we were dealing with a potentially massive issue. Um, so all of them, and not all of the pregnancies because of um, issues like nutrition, um, you know, eating disorders, um, uh, settings of violence and whatever. A lot of these pregnancies uh, did not continue. So a lot of, we had a lot of miscarriages as well. Um, but, but some of the young moms said really early on, um, they identified that they wanted to parent and uh, that it was going to be difficult, that the place where they lived uh, was not a great place for this baby to grow up. And that could be for a lot of different reasons. It could be because the mom was living in a home where there were addictions in the family. Mom or dad um, was uh, were struggling with um, hard, hard drug addictions. Um, kids are in and out of care in some of the situations, uh, crowding, because we all know we have a, home, uh, a housing crisis in Brantford. So families are just stacking up, right? So in some situations, there were seven people already living in a two-bedroom apartment. And uh, where are we going to tuck this one more baby, right? Um, and so, uh, and just the, the desire to avoid having the child apprehended, you know, and recognizing that some of these things were would be concerns for fats, right? Or I we call them CFSGE now. <laughs> They've got a new name, uh, Child and Family Services of Grand Erie. So we thought, you know what, we're in, we've started housing, we've gotten our feet wet. And uh, we really identified that the kids that we see at the youth center, their struggles have their roots in early childhood trauma. By and large, almost without exception, these kids have experienced trauma from a very young age. And the reason they've experienced trauma is because they are in a family who generationally um, is in that cycle, generational poverty, generational trauma. I mean, we've definitely been recognizing and talking a lot about that with um within the indigenous community, with the residential schools and how much that generational um, loss, right, has impacted future generations in an ongoing way and uh, in the black communities as well. And so we're seeing it with our kids, um, you know, any family that really has a, a root in poverty and a generational history of, of a trauma and loss, it, that is going to impact the next generation. Uh, it almost is inevitable. We really thought strategically because we love our kids and we fight with them to push back against their trauma experiences and the red flags that kind of come out of it, whether that's self-harm or um, mental health or self-medicating because of um, because of their mental health, using drugs, um, trouble in school, criminal activities, dropping out of school, all those things to us are just red flags that point to childhood trauma. Um, so we thought if we want to have an impact on the next generation, 
you know, the very best place for us to focus our efforts is in that tiny little space between where that new generation is starting, right, with that new baby. And if we can provide full wraparound supports with that parent and that family, because it's not just the mom, sometimes we've got a dad too, and we love it when that's the case, a dad too, who wants to be part of this, um, if we can equip them, um, give them the skills to uh, to nurture and care for their child, it's such that that baby has a very um, safe uh, first year, then, uh, you know, then they can go on and, and, and do so much better than they would have otherwise, and hopefully be on a completely different cycle, not that poverty cycle, but on their way toward, you know, being able to well pr- provide for their family because, hey, now they finished high school because we've allowed, we've given them space for that. Um, they've, they've had therapy to deal with their trauma. They've had, um, They've done some studies maybe on healthy relationships and what those are supposed to look like. And we really identify like in a customized and unique way, what is it that you have going on in your life that is going to be a barrier for you being the best mom you can be. You talked a lot about like the individuals um, that you work with and how working with them and opening the home is really meant to help them get better in the future, like settled in the future. Um yeah in a more stabilized environment. Uh, and I'm curious, I've heard about other, <laughs> uh, you know, homes and group homes. Sometimes there's a community like backlash or community worry. Um, and rather than focusing on that, I'm curious, like if you have anything to say about like how helping these moms and opening a home like this for these young moms is actually helpful and beneficial to a community. So I think as a community, Brantford is recognizing that we are hurting. So I, I don't think it takes anybody with any kind of special insight or, you know, knowledge to be able to, you know, step out of their car at Freshco and not see that there is a world of hurt, you know, or to walk down your, um, you know, just to drive and see just how, how deep rooted some of these issues that we're facing are and how much we as a community own this problem. And I think that Brantford, um, I I mean, I don't have a ton of experience in other communities or cities in this kind of work, but I have been really, really impressed by how much people in Brantford care and want to invest in um, the youth at Why Not. I think they see it as um, almost like a bastion of hope, you know, really, um, like everyone hates when they see, you know, not hates maybe the wrong word, but it is so hard when you pull off the highway and there's someone with their sign or when you, you know, turning left on Gretzky and there's someone else and you're driving downtown, there's a few more people, you know, every single spot, Walmart, there's people everywhere right now where there never used to be just basically trying to tell you, I, my life is hard and um and we can guess at what the situation is the backstory and what what kind of drugs they might be using and what choices may have put them in that situation but the bottom line is we we don't know and we don't know what they had to choose between so i think um i think when the community sees why not um doing something i think well we've had a very good response um tons of encouragement a lot of people are investing which is great because that's what it takes right um but the community sees working with youth as being hopeful. 
So when we when we invest in the youth, we we have a hope that this youth who might otherwise be headed toward holding a sign on a corner or pushing a cart, you know, that youth maybe could possibly have a different future. And the community as a whole, I think, has kind of come alongside that and come around us and said, like, if you guys have ideas and if you guys are are taking steps, um, we want to support that because we don't like what we see when we drive through town. Actually, interestingly, um, research has shown there's a um, a saying that goes around um, that says that every teenager is um, one decision away from being a statistic or one caring adult away from um, from rising above. I can't remember how it ends, but um, actually the research has shown that it's five, five caring adults. Every teenager needs five unique people in their lives who are believing in them and coming alongside them and um, and rooting for them and listening to them and being part of the team. And so whether that's a guidance counselor at school and a teacher that one, that one teacher who really takes an interest in a kid, um, whether it's a youth worker at Why Not or a youth pastor at a church or a community member, I feel like parents don't count half the time. I've got teenagers of my own. I'm like, hello, I'm on your team. And they're like, get out of here. <laughs> so I think that parents, you know, as much as we want to be that for our kids, it needs to be the community who steps in with teenagers and says uh you know what we see you being a teenager even if you don't have trauma is hard right so I feel like everybody who's listening to this probably knows some teenagers and it is so worthwhile to um to spend time with the teen in mentorship going out for coffee doing a project you know woodworking crafting whatever like just being with them being one of those five that's going to be a diff- make a difference in our community just by us digging in and pressing into our teenagers lives <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing all of this with us i think you kind of and very concisely like kind of painted a picture for kind of what's happening where we're at and some hope for the future. Uh, if people want to learn more or follow anything that you're doing, uh, where can they go? So we have a few different websites, but in this case, so they're, well, we have our whynotcitymissions.com website, which will take you to all of our different um, areas of impact. So the youth center, our different houses, um, whynotyouthhousing.com. Uh, there's a, a page on there that talks about SHIP with SHYP, which is supportive housing for young parents. Um, there's a way to donate. We're running two campaigns right now. So we've got to pay for the house and our goal is to do that by June. And we have uh, about $650,000 to go of our 1.3 million. So I've got to say we are halfway there. So that is awesome. Um, and uh, and we also need to increase our monthly support. And like I said, Brantford is super generous. So I, I don't have any doubt that we will get there on both counts because of course, when we finish this project and we get it funded, the next thing will be waiting. And so it's really important for us to finish funding this so that we can then say, okay, stage two for these moms, what comes next? And then, uh, and then present that. So, so yeah, there's an opportunity to give as well on that website. If this has kind of touched your heart and, um, yeah, it's great. I I love talking to people in Brantford about uh, these things. So I'd love to talk to other groups as well. So just uh, reach out to our office. The number is 519-759-2221 and, and I can uh, be reached that way too. Great. We'll make sure to also include this information in the show notes. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was great to talk to you, Zila.
I feel like every time we talk about any of the topics we've covered, there's always something about really like how the community just gets right involved to improve their community. I think that's one of the things that I love about this city or about my neighborhood or just the fact that, yeah, that that's exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. There's always, there's always a made in Brantford solution to coming up with, you know, whatever's, whatever helps needed at the time, like how they did the concerts in Eagle Place, the Businessman's Association, right? Like way back even then. And that's exactly the kinds of things that we still do now. Um, you know, when we needed a splash pad, we had a concert, you know, just, I mean, that's obviously a little bit different, but there's always people ready to help each other. And so I think that's really cool. Well, Susan definitely talks about that because, you know, she was saying people don't want to see the youth in the community and not in a good situation. So they understand that they need the support so that they can be better off later in life I liked what she said too about um the youth and about you know helping the youth is like it's um for the future and uh you know I I can't remember what her exact words were but that really really made me think yeah that's exactly it is you know helping the youth is helping our future what really came like uh, across to me I guess with your conversation with Matthew too was like you know often there's no like outcome for, for the person doing, doing these additional tasks, right? They're just doing it um, selflessly and giving of themselves for the community. And, uh, you know, it, it's, to me, it's really miraculous how many people there are in, in Brantford who, who do that. They give of themselves to kind of help out their community. And it's always like, uh, yeah, very reassuring. Yeah, I, that was a big piece of why I wanted to interview him too, is just that he's, you know, just a regular person doing all of these things just to help people. And he's not connected to anything. He's not looking for anything out of helping people other than just want, truly wanting to help people. And so I just found that really interesting that that's what he's out there doing. And I've been keeping, I've been seeing a lot of his things happening online and on Facebook where he's helping people and offering help and I just thought, you know what, nobody else is going to really notice him if we don't bring attention to the fact that he's out there doing that stuff. So I thought it was kind of cool to be able to interview him. Something else that actually didn't make it into the past part of the episode. I'm kind of shocked I didn't work it in there somehow. During the Depression, the teachers voluntarily gave up 10% of their salary. Wow. That first year of the Depression so that other people in the community um, you know, had, had money to feed their families and things like that. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty substantial. And you think about the, you know, I, I think about the number of crises that have happened in my life. You know, I came out of university into the 2008 uh, recession. So you had no jobs. And then there was another uh, recession in 2012, and then another recession, and then a pandemic. And now uh, we're heading towards another recession, right? It's odd to see the ways that uh, some people some people continue to give to the community and 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 sometimes other people who maybe uh, don't contribute or give back to the community in the same way. It's a it's a very very different in society now. Now uh, back then, you'd uh, know all of your neighbors and you looked out for your neighbors all the time, so you're a lot more willing to help them out. 
in like today's busy uh, age, especially if you live in like a suburb kind of community, you you tend not to know your, you know, you might know your direct neighbor, but then, uh, you know, people down the street, you might not know them so well. That's a, that's a really good point. I think that it's funny because I was just, I had a conversation earlier in the week too about how um, belonging brand to know about how the neighborhood associations are trying to really create bringing people back together and knowing their neighbors and that connection and I think that that is something that's gotten lost with how busy everybody's gotten and you know now you hang out in your back in your backyard instead of on your front porch talking to all your neighbors and things like that and so I think that we need to work towards changing that because we do need to have that connection with our neighbors and that just makes for a better community and a safer community as well right it's interesting that that connection to your neighbors doesn't even have to be like a huge undertaking of like let's organize a large community event it can literally be just offering to rake someone's leaves or whatever every once in a while and just building up those little connections multiple times throughout a month maybe right i have to i have to say because i I, something happened for me recently that I have have not done and not done for a long time. Uh, it was recently Halloween. And so normally for Halloween, I buy some candy and I make up bags. There, I know there's two kids on the street up, up on the same side, two kids across the street and that's it. So I make up four bags and then I got my uh, cousin's kids. So I make up some bags for them. So that's all I do. This year I oversupplied. So I so much candy so I actually sat out on the front porch for the first time and gave away candy to all the little kids going around the neighborhood and, and we had a surprisingly large amount to me like that act of giving those little bags to the neighbors kids the ones that I recognize and the ones that see me all the time outside if I'm walking down the street you know I want to create that kind of connected small community but then uh, this allowed me to uh, connect, I guess, with an even larger segment of, of the community. So it was a great fun time. Sounds fantastic. In our neighborhood, it seems like less and less people are giving out treats. So with that many dark houses on my street, I, we're not getting as many kids coming down. So I'm hoping to encourage folks to start to get involved with Halloween again so we can have more kids coming. And But it is, it's a lot of fun seeing the costumes and those connections, right? And at Myrtleville, too, we had an a event with the Neighborhood Association. We had 800 kids show up to Myrtleville. Another great way of, you know, kind of getting out into the community. I think the thing that uh, maybe some people who don't give back to the community or, or uh, don't, I don't know, aren't as interested in it, once they start doing it and get start seeing the benefits of it, like you, it feels so, so rewarding to your personal self right it's there's not something tangible that you get from it at the end but it's like it's something that just yeah makes all all the right uh endorphins get released it just uh it leaves you feeling good and know that you're uh, part of a community you're working towards a, a greater goal that's it for episode four of our second season of for the love of brantford if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to our website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB to fill out our feedback form. Any and all suggestions are welcome. Thank you, Matthew Birdsell, for helping out anyone and everyone. And thank you to Susan Zudima 
Executive Director of Why Not City Missions for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Brantford. You can find all the episodes at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB, including the show notes where we list references, share images, and provide resources to continue your exploration of Brantford. We are your hosts, Mandy Samuel, Nathan Atherington, and Zila Ozels. This is a podcast in partnership with the Eagle Place Community Association, the Brant Historical Society, and the Brantford Public Library.